Welcome to this pilot episode of the Quality Amplified podcast brought to you by Rock. My name is Gemma Kaywood and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll be talking to people from the world of software quality and testing and asking them to share their stories and wisdom with me on topics ranging from agile, test automation, digital, AI, machine learning and lots more. In this pilot episode, I'll be learning about the seven key areas where a lack of attention can cause a project or program to fail catastrophically. We'll be discussing what we as quality professionals can do to avert these disasters and deliver successfully. With me today is Rock co-founder and testing veteran Mark Barge. Thanks for joining me, Mark. How do you feel about being a guest on our first podcast? It's great. Thanks for a million for inviting me along. Uh, I'm really looking forward to taking part in the first podcast. It's such a fantastic way to share ideas and stories, etc. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have some fantastic guests and some uh, interesting topics as the as the series expands. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from experts in the community and hopefully learning some great tips along the way. Um, why don't you begin by explaining, for those who don't already know you, um, what led you to become a testing veteran? Ah, well, I don't really see myself as a veteran, uh, but I have been in the software industry for almost 30 years, and about 20 of those have been in testing of one form or another. Uh, I've been fortunate to, w- to work on some you know, great projects with great company and witness firsthand the changes that are taking place within the you know, IT industry over the years. Uh, but as software becomes more prevalent you know, in everything we do, the important that, the importance that software works first time is key, and at Rock we're passionate about software quality and ensuring that organisations succeed. Yeah, I mean, what is it now, nine years that Rock's been running? I mean, what was it that led you to to start Rock? What was the key driver for making you think that it was what was needed? Yeah, well, we started Rock with a passion for software quality and putting client requirements you know, at the heart of what we do. I mean, both Stephen and I had worked in organisations where we felt maybe the agenda had shifted a little bit, and sometimes it was less about the client and more about selling a product or a service. And so we wanted to, you know, get alter that state and uh, and shortly after our foundations we created a, a test lab in Chorley and we've delivered some you know fantastic results for our clients from that lab. Yeah I mean it's great to see where the company has got to today and you must be you must be proud of its achievements I suppose. Yeah very much so uh, but the success of the company is very much down to our people uh, you know we've worked hard to build a really good team being a service organisation you know great people are the key, of, key to our success. And I suppose it's that which has led you to go away and look at these seven areas that you come up with now. Yeah, well, to be honest, these areas, and they're not, they're not new areas that I've come up with. I guess the foundations for it was uh, I was travelling with a colleague and we were listening to the radio in the car and it was a, a news programme that was discussing some of the, the well-publicised issues that TSB has faced recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was discussing one of the early report findings which mentioned a lack of rigorous go-life criteria. So that got the two of us thinking very much around you know, what were those go live criteria and what it would have been like to sit around the, uh, you know, the board table at, yeah. at TSB. Uh, and also think a little bit further and say, you know, but do we structure our projects properly aligned to those, pro- you know, to those, uh, to those, to those final outcomes, those go no go live decisions? And it's not just TSB. I mean, we see that too many projects fail. And I saw something recently about a time limit to report on the reasons for failure, which seems to be a bigger focus and actually removing the causes for failure, which is really quite astounding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, as testing professionals, our focus is on software quality. Uh, so that, that type of thing would be quite disheartening, true. Yeah. And all too often, we struggle to gain the backing for some types of testing. Yep. Yeah. Even though testing as an industry has matured significantly, it is still seen sometimes as an as a necessary evil. 
Uh, but if in the eyes of stakeholders we can, you know, that somehow directly link, link, you know, good transparent testing to successful project outcomes, then it's just going to empower us as as test professionals, yeah. you know, and move us from the periphery of testing to, uh, you know, to be real decision makers in those in those critical decisions. Yeah, but I mean, I suppose that what you're trying to do here is you're trying to help to arm those um, those at the top who have got to make the decisions with the questions that they need to be asking so that come to the project go live decision, you, you've helped them, you know, throughout. Yep, absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot about shift left and understanding those requirements, but if we can be very clear on what those high-level acceptance criteria are, then it allows, you know, it supports us both as testing professionals and those stakeholders who need to ultimately to make those final decisions. Why don't we move on now to discussing exactly what these seven areas are? And I suppose that the first one that stands out to me must be ensuring that the software actually does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, functional readiness is certainly the, the, the key one that everyone focuses on. Uh, and it's generally where most of the tef- testing effort lies. Uh and that's that's something you'd need a, a big tick in the box before you go live. Yeah, I mean, it does sound obvious, but I suppose the problem is it, it isn't always. I mean, what what do you see are the gaps that, that are often missed in that area? I guess um, there are multiple gaps as to what could cover that, that sign-off criteria. Maybe one from a lesson, the lesson learned that I had on a project for, from a number of years ago now is... Uh, is we did a lot of work on functional acceptance and making sure an application was ready, but it was only quite late in the day that we understood what extent of, of user sign-off was required. Uh, that we we're working on a, on a, it was a global project actually, where we hadn't quite understood the, you know, the level of sign-off we needed from multiple countries, uh, and not being prepared for that that extent of user sign-off in UAT actually delayed the project because it just meant that the, the UAT just took longer than it should to organise. If we'd known about that earlier in the project, and you could argue we, we could, and hence the lesson learned, then we'd have been prepared because we would have we'd have fully understood that goal, no-go decision and what that criteria was, and therefore we'd have, we'd have prepared our testing differently. Yeah, and I suppose that now going forward, the fact that you have these seven areas looking into the project from the start, you know now that you can learn from that and you, you that will be picked up earlier, basically. Absolutely, and I think I think one of the risks with that is that you do get pressurised into that, that area because that's where most of the testing effort is yeah. and everybody gets caught up with a with the outstanding defect list, how you classify those defects, understand the risk of carrying those defects into live, and that can that can potentially dominate a uh, you know a go no go meeting. Yeah. Uh, an example of one project in of you know where it was unfortunate. It's probably the only project I've had which actually gone live and then subsequently uh, subsequently had to be you know cancelled uh, was just that reason we were focusing so hard on functional acceptance and UAT and dealing with all those functional issues that that the the the, the go no go meeting gave lip service to some of the other areas of of you know of the system which had been which had been tested but maybe not as rigorously as it should be yeah. and in that instance it was it was system performance actually that 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 that, that caught us out and that's the second area i guess you could say is does a system perform uh you know well governed projects will have that 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 sign off of that the system works uh, but we've heard, you know, horror stories of where that maybe wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. People make a, a risk-based decision on the fact that they've got, you know, shi- lots of shiny new tin. Uh, therefore, performance testing isn't necessarily a, a requirement, but it could be something as simple as database contention that would might, might catch you out. And again, I've heard examples and horror stories and, you know, the 
Well, that's exactly the issue. Yeah. I mean, how about software as a service applications? I mean, surely performance is built in and it's it's not something that you really need to worry about. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. I mean, I guess when you're selecting an, uh, a SaaS application, you would expect some evidence of benchmark tests that the vendor way have done, you know, t- to verify that it's going to carry that that number of users. I would say there, a couple of points, really. One, you've got to keep an eye on any customization that maybe that you may do, as an organization may do, that, that may impact that those performance benchmarks. Uh, any integration you may have with that application and whether those, you know, and there's any issues from an integration perspective, mm-hmm. but also ensuring that the project sponsors and the people who are going to sign off uh, have accepted that that software vendor benchmark would be good enough as an acceptance criteria. Is that something that's caught you out before? Yeah, not necessarily me, but I've worked with a client recently where, yeah, very late in the day, the project demanded an actual performance test against an SAP application, something that had been during the, you know, the test planning and it hadn't been required. And then very late in the day, there was a change of mind. Uh, and, you know, catching the project team out and they had to yeah. arrange and conduct a performance test. So that's getting back to the point of what is, you know, what is that actual go-life criteria? What questions are going to be asked there? So you're preparing yourself to answer them. Mm-hmm. I suppose clarifying those requirements at the beginning can help you work it into your plan. Yeah. I mean, these questions we're talking about now can be quite obvious. That What the go-life questions are, the big questions are, is exactly how are you going to answer them and whether that will satisfy the, the stakeholders who are making the final decision. What about security? I mean, that's one of the areas that jumps out to me and often seems to grab the headlines when it's failed. Yep, absolutely. I mean, security, it's, uh, you know, that's going to be a key goal life criteria. And you need to make sure that corporate information security involved at the, the earlier stage so that no last minute questions can be asked around security. Uh, I mean, yeah, and it's got to be, you know, like all areas, but particularly it's got to be defined early and built into, uh, built into the project delivery and validated as you move along that project lifecycle. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's what could stop a project dead in its tracks if any of those protocols are breached. It certainly would, and uh, and many projects have been delayed, you know, for just that reason. Before we move on to the next point, do you see this this list of seven areas as, as in order of priority? No, not really. I mean, different applications, different software deliveries will have their own priorities. Uh, and I think what we're talking about here is really understanding what makes up that go-live criteria and that go-live decision so they can all be considered throughout the project. Uh, there's no surprises towards the end. Clearly, all the different areas of testing are not going to need the same time and money invested in them. I guess what we've talked about so far are some of the obvious ones, such as functional readiness, performance, security. But one area that, again, is absolutely key is business readiness. Uh, and while it's obvious to some, it isn't always considered as early as it should be. This is looking at the impact the software will have on the business. Yeah, exactly. It's ensuring you're not running IT as a, as a silo alongside the business. Uh, and the impact that you know that IT system is going to have on the business users, uh, and by that I mean it could ensure that you've got the appropriate training in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you define their role in that system acceptance. Could be working practices changed. You've got a communication plan in place. Uh, just are you ready for that? That you know this this IT change. Yeah, I mean, who do you see as, as owning that area generally? On large projects, I'd hope there'll be some form of you know, business change owner within the project. And as I say, certainly if it's going to have a significant impact on the business and someone will have been, uh, you know, someone will be in place to coordinate training, communication, UAT participation, uh, etc. Because, you know, in that instance, IT and the business certainly need to be clearly aligned. What about something like the service desk being ready? Yeah, well, I guess that fall into another area that 
which would be operational readiness. You know, that really looking at, you know, are you ready with the application? Is it ready to operate in live? You know, have we considered what, what the service criticality of the application? Uh, what disaster recovery might need to have in place? You know, have we got monitoring and other operational controls sorted? Uh, and as you said there, you know, is a service desk ready? And they'll all form part of, the, of that, you know, operational readiness testing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there, there could be an influx of calls about the application. Uh, yeah, well, you'd hope not. Not if it's been a smooth, well-communicated go-live. But, but yeah, absolutely, you need to make, you ensure they're ready for the new release. Yeah, I suppose that's what it's about, just being prepared. Um, we've covered five of the seven points now. What are the final two? Yeah, maybe not relevant for every single project, but but most projects will involve some form of data migration. Mm-hmm. So you need to ensure that that data you know, is, is being 100% migrated successfully and that it's all, you know, it can all be accurately transferred from one system to another. But not only that it's transferred, you know, as I say, accurately, but that it can be done in the appropriate time frame yeah. as part of any go-live transition, which brings us on to the final area, I guess, which is all about that, that go-live transition itself. Is an implementation plan in place and rehearsed? Uh, so you're ready to migrate the system into a live estate? Yeah, and I suppose part of your implementation planning should be about ensuring that you're able to roll back if necessary. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And in many IT re- projects where you're replacing existing systems, you do need some form of, you know, back out plan to keep the lights on, so to speak, just in case there's any issues during that implementation. Uh, and again, I would expect that to, to have been rehearsed during during that implementation plan preparation. Yeah. So you've covered seven areas there. Um, we've had functional readiness, performance, security. There was... Yeah, there was business readiness, ensuring the business is aligned, uh, operational readiness, data migration, and and finally that implementation planning. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they, these aren't really any, any new areas, but it's about considering these areas early and making sure that the stakeholders are aware of these seven areas so they also know what to look out for. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I guarantee almost that the stakeholders will will have these areas, and you know, possibly others. But we need to be ready that we've you know we've got the answers ready. So, what what can we do as testing professionals? I guess the challenge is we often, as as you know, as testers, we can often work in our silos, and uh, and 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 and, and fo- we you know we're focused on our immediate issues. You know, we could be functional test managers or or performance test managers. And I guess what we need to lift our heads up a little bit and just really assist the project and program managers in in focusing on these project outcomes, mm-hmm. uh, considering all the areas from the outset. And while it may seem obvious, you know, we've got to create test strategies that consider all of these areas and help build towards that final project outcome. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding that ultimate acceptance criteria and that we're embedding quality as early as possible. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's about aligning our test strategies to risk. Yep. Uh, and what we need to do is ensure that we've got testing showing we've got transparency and clarity of information, you know, to ensure that the uh, go-no-go decision is a very well-informed one. I mean, have you got an example of, of where you've maybe previously considered these areas and, and it's been able to positively influence the outcome of the project, you know, actually looking at the seven areas from the beginning of a project? Yeah, I guess we've uh, yeah, I've worked in a number of projects where we've been we've been quite clear on what on understanding what that acceptance criteria was of an application, and then and then actively managed you know progress towards that go live date, mm-hmm. even if they're you know and literally tracking them in a in a weekly progress call, tracking all of these individual areas, so you're not just focusing on on the, that that like I say those critical outstanding defects that you might have, but also on 
the business training on communication, uh, etc. Uh, so it just meant we had no surprises as we get closer and closer to that go live meeting. Yeah, and does that feel like one of the more successful projects that you've worked on yourself? Yeah, I guess so, and also, but it ensured the the entire team there had a little more job satisfaction. But they felt like they were they were all aligned towards those project outcomes. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting listening to to these seven areas because you know you've said that they're nothing new, but having these areas being considered the whole way through a project, it is really, and it's like a, a kite mark for software quality, ensuring it it meets the standards that it, that it needs to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could say that. I mean, all software projects are different, and that's one of the you know the challenges it'd be nice if everything was standard you can just you know you had a rubber stamp and because but all project you know they're all going to have variations yeah but all projects are going to have some form of you've got to validate some outcome at the end of it do you see these as being also relevant for agile projects yeah absolutely i mean irrespective of the the, the you know the method you're going to use towards getting towards that project outcome uh, absolutely i mean agile has its benefits of course by by you know you're engaging the business early and you're mm-hmm. you know you're you're collaborating on that outcome but you still need to know ultimately what's that acceptance criteria what is it that's going to be going to get this over the line but yes you know agile as well as you know assessing those various areas as you're moving through you would hope that in that agile framework you you know you're building towards that answer as well uh, but 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 yeah you need to understand what are the criteria needed to get over the line if there was just one thing that you could get test leaders to take away from this podcast what what do you think it would be yeah, I guess we've talked a lot about people not getting drawn into, you know, into silos of activity, not just focusing on, on your area, but considering your part in the overall project outcome mm-hmm. uh, and ensuring that you're building, you know, you're building towards that. And also don't be afraid to raise your voice if you think some other area has been neglected. I mean, ultimately, it should be around mitigating risk and working as one team towards that successful project outcome, really. Exactly. OK, brilliant. Well, thanks for joining me today, Mark. It's been great to hear about these seven areas. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this pilot podcast. We'll be running these podcasts more frequently from September. So subscribe now so you don't miss out. If you're interested in hearing more from Rock, you can also visit our website at www.rock.co.uk. That's www.roq.co.uk. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Rock Talk. Join the conversation now.